0: Welcome to the Leaders for Good podcast. Today, we're speaking to Dr. Jen O'Ryan. She is an author, consultant, and specialist in inclusion, diversity, and belonging. She has a PhD in human behavior, and her background is in tech, leading organizational change, and launching global initiatives. We touch on many things during this episode, um, sparked from a conversation around Jen's recent book, Inclusive AF, um, around accidental DEI experts. So if you are one of those people in your organization, one of the individuals who've found yourself talking about and uh, leading the charge on diversity, equity, and inclusion, this one is for you. And even if you're not, even if you're an organizational leader, a uh, people and culture or HR professional, this is a fascinating listen. We touch on many, many topics, including safe spaces. We touch on inclusive language. And that's just just to name a couple of things. Really fun conversation. Loved speaking with Jen. And we hope you will enjoy listening as well. So, without further ado, we bring you Jen Orion.
1: I thought we'd start by just asking you, how do you come to do the work that you do and and why are you working in this space?
2: Yes, yes. And thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Um, Yeah, so I... I fell into it almost accidentally. So as you mentioned, I spent the first 20 years of my career working in tech, primarily around launching new initiatives and customer experiences and policies, things like that. And I got more into the inclusion, diversity and belonging as as part of my doctorate work. And I realized that companies were really struggling with this. So organizations of all sizes seem to run into difficulties between they have a really good idea, they want to do something, they want to do it well, and getting to that implementation really seems to be tricky. And how do you launch something that is meaningful and effective and safe for everybody involved? And then how do leaders, how do we talk about that? And and kind of, you know, have some of those conversations that honestly can be emotionally charged sometimes.
1: Yeah, pretty complex area.
0: Um, and one of the one of the things we'd love to talk to you today, uh, talk to you about today, Jen, is your book. So you've um, wh- when did uh, when did the book come out? Um, Inclusive AF, I believe is uh, the is the title.
2: <laughs> yes, yes, it published uh, September of twenty twenty.
0: Well, first of all, congratulations, and a, uh, what a time to what a time to be releasing a, a book into, into the world <laughs> as well. Thank
2: you. Um,
0: but the the kind of one of the one of the main threads in the book is around accidental DEI experts in in organisations, and we obviously see this a lot in the work we do, and I'd love to get your um, love to get. I guess first of all, why that as a premise why why was that one of the why was that kind of drawing you as a topic to 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 put pen to paper
2: it was it it's something that I've encountered so accidental experts is 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 a comes from a very loving place. it's a very positive term and it's one that is used frequently in in the tech industry because there will be a situation or something that'll we'll we have to go quickly learn about. And suddenly the person who knows a little bit more than everybody else is the expert and becomes the go-to person for all of the things. Even if they're just looking it up on the internet and kind of putting bits of information together, they become the expert. And I found in organizational change and in DEI, a lot of people come into it accidentally, either because they're really good at getting things done. So they... Are tasked with championing DEI in the organization, or they just have a calling, they have a passion, they have, they want to make their corner of the world a little bit better. And, and so they fall into it almost accidentally. And then pretty soon it's, it just becomes more and more of, of their work and daily focus.
0: I love that framing, and I'd not considered it in from that from that angle before. It's you know, it doesn't mean you're the you know the expert, as in a world class expert. You're just the person who knows most in the room about the uh, <laughs> yes, about yes. the thing. And then- um, yeah, in in the same way that I'm the uh, I'm the accidental tech expert in in our business. I'm by no means an expert. I just. <laughs> I just happen Mm. to spend money on gadgets, and therefore, I'm the I'm the go to resource on that.
2: Yeah, yeah, and probably know which which questions to ask, right, and how to start Mm. problem solving and teasing. So, you, as an accidental tech expert, see problems and the world in a very different way because you become that expert, and that's exactly Mm. how it how it translates.
0: And who are some of those accidental experts? You, I th- you mentioned a couple of them there, but you know wh- what are the what are the kind of you know what are the roles that tend to tend to be stepping into as uh, you know as accidental experts?
2: That's such a good question. So typically, it tends to be people who are more centered around either naturally or because of their work: um, project managers, program managers, people who can take these very ambiguous, ambitious ideas and break them down into their core components and then kind of rally people around, bring them on the journey. Uh, I was very excited a few years ago when LinkedIn announced that chief diversity officer was one of the fastest growing C-suite titles. And I was like, that's fantastic, we need that. But you give me a couple of really motivated program managers and we will change the world because it is that, that level of understanding the mechanics and the interpersonal dynamics of the people with which you're trying to implement these changes. And, and so that's, and it typically, honestly, if, if I'm talking about an organization, like a, like a, like a company, right? Like a corporation, it tends to be people who are either in a human resources recruiting aspect where they engage with people of all levels mm-hmm. or it's people who tend to be in operations because they see everything.
1: Yeah. So you definitely get those almost either self-appointed or organisationally nominated inclusion champions in some form. So sometimes we see that in the form of employee resource groups, employee network groups. Sometimes there's a DEI lead in a HR team that might not necessarily have had experience, but they've got a very clear calling towards it. Um, and it's quite often we also see like heads of people and culture end up in that area as well. So they've they've almost had to add a expertise and DNI to their to their series of skills that they that they hold and if we're thinking of those people then I think you've done a really great job of, of describing them from a sort of psychology perspective as well as me being like very typically practical and thinking about well what would those roles be what are the challenges they face there's obviously going to be organizational challenges and personal challenges so maybe we could discuss those both from those two different angles what are the challenges they face in trying to drive change in the organization maybe is a good good place to start
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, from a, from a very pragmatic perspective, a lot of it has to do with allocating resources because this has to be a sustained effort. And oftentimes it's looked at like, okay, we'll have a six week course on unconscious bias and we'll get some handbooks and then everything will be fine. And that's not (laughs) done. We're good. And the organization will figure itself out. And that's just not how we incorporate change. Um, Especially, I mean, if, we don't incorporate change like that as humans for a social media platform when it changes something that we don't like. Uh, we definitely don't do it when it's emotionally more connected to it. Um, so it's, it's having the right resources, but it's also having that right curiosity. Mm. So leaning into it saying, I don't have all the answers, but I know that we need to explore this and who are the experts we need to have in the room and how do we really amplify voices and honestly being aware enough that they understand there are different ways of being. And all the different experiences and how I as an individual experience this conversation or a meeting or getting to work on, on public transportation is all going to be very different. And so that that to me is the biggest challenge, is, is making sure that, that that CDO or that ERG leader has enough familiarity with people who are actually doing the work and people have the attention of that leadership sponsor in a way that they can say we need these obstacles removed let's let's have a conversation about what that looks like
1: Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And and a big part of that, I guess, is helping the organization, whoever we class as organization, but senior leadership team to really understand the why Mm -hmm. and to understand why it's important. If we need that resource, as you mentioned, how do we make sure this is high enough on that priority list of things that we need to spend money on to make sure that actually money and time, of course, that it is prioritized. And without that, it's really hard to make to make change.
2: And honestly, that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book. Um, mm. and especially in 2020, all the things, a lot of the content that I had originally written came out because it, it felt like mm. these were, I mean it was it was good content, but it it felt more like we really need to be able to focus on some some critical things, some very specific critical things, and get people to the place where they feel equipped to have these conversations and to intervene and to know how to take care of themselves, right? And so that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book is there are so many people who either don't want to work with a consultant, don't have the resources. It's them and another coworker who see this problem and just need some resources and some guidance around how to how do they even start to do this.
0: And I don't know if this, this kind of class of individual falls under the moniker of accidental DEI expert or whether you have some other way of thinking about thinking about these folk and, and thinking about their particular their particular challenges and their particular role. But I'm thinking of the the, the figureheads of organizations and the communicators so for instance ceos who who are um you know expected in in their role to 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 to, to speak on this topic and to have opinions and and to uh, to articulate to their people and the media and, and kind of broader stakeholders what what's happening here and I'm wondering if there's um if there's any sort of difference in your thinking about those those individuals because it's not quite the same as the the sort of sometimes it and i'm not saying that sometimes these individuals are absolutely you know really intrinsically motivated and really buy into the you know really buy into the uh to the um to, to the project and the mission of, of creating a more inclusive organization but i think sometimes they are um they're kind of thrust into this just by virtue of their 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 position um so yeah i'm just, I'm just wondering what your what your what your thoughts are on that
2: yeah, those are the, the execs can be sometimes my favorite people to work with, because especially when you get them into small groups, they they want the ones that I've worked with, for the most part, want to know how to do the right thing to support their employees or even their families and their communities. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's they don't want to make a mistake. And they're so hesitant because it feels like, why are we talking about this at work? I was like, we're always talking about it. We're just talking about it in different ways now. Right. And they I mean, if I misspeak, I should say when I misspeak, when I say something stupid, it's not going to show up on, you know, the New York Times. <laughs> it's going to make me, you know, whatever. I am under less pressure. And there's such scrutiny around it. And they just they really need space to to practice and internalize. One of the one of the biggest things that I worked on in, in 2016 and 2018 was really how do you talk about gender in the workplace? And gender identity because that was becoming really mainstream and a lot of people didn't even know how to start so um yeah i think that's one of the benefits of executives now is they are understanding that it empathy isn't a weakness and being curious and amplifying voices and saying that you don't know what to do and looking for the right expert um is, is critical and i think that's one of the things that was kind of a turning point in 2020.
1: Yeah, it definitely put a lot of um focus on mental health, well-being, mm-hmm. all of all of those areas. And I think it's really interesting when we think about, about leadership and that pressure, because what we still so often see is it it being the, being too much fear there to make change. So I'm actually I'm better off saying nothing than I am to say something and risk saying the wrong thing. And of course we know that longer term that's incredibly detrimental to businesses if we're not calling out bad behavior, if we're not raising um key issues. So how do we what how do we work with leaders and overcome that fear? How do we make those safe spaces? How do we how do we start to
2: think about that? Honestly, one of the most effective ways is from their peers. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes they'll hear it, <coughs> excuse me. Oftentimes they'll hear it from their employee resource groups, their affinity groups, their HR team, me, you, everybody. But it, it tends to land differently if it comes from a peer. And that's why I think it's it's that opportunistic conversation that every time we have a chance to show how something could be different. It, it's almost like it's almost like a yes and like improv. That's one of my favorite expressions to use is yes and. Yes, the message that you have is good. But if you just changed this word or if you used this image and these words in combination, it lands so much differently. And and kind of that that mentality starts to really think. They don't feel like they have to defend themselves. They can be open. They can be curious, and and understand that it's never going to be done. It, it, this is an, an evolution.
0: I love the the improv kind of prompt there. I think that's a really good way of um, helping leaders think about how to how they might support each other in um, in, in in improving and, and kind of constantly evolving and growing. and you can, we, we, we see organizations and I think even organizations where there perhaps isn't, there aren't high levels of trust and psychological safety currently. I think, I think leaders could still see a path to a place where they could make a misstep, um, make a misstep publicly internally. And there would be, there would be compassion for that. And there would be a, an acknowledgement that, you know, that everyone's on a journey and and that would be okay. <laughs> Is is there any counsel you you would give to leaders, again, thinking about more of that external communication because twitter is less forgiving (laughs) than (laughs) uh than 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 the internals of an organization um especially twitter at the moment and um and yeah and and i I think the the fear is uh, again amplified as you as you said jen you know if you misspeak it's not it's not likely to end up on the on the cover of the times but but if um you know if if tim cook misspeaks it 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 absolutely will so uh, yeah is there is there any kind of uh, any advice or any counsel you'd give there
2: yeah, so one of the one of the things I think we have most available to us is is how we express. For a lot of people that's language and the words that we use. And that can be just as powerful to to use very specific words that are inclusive that signal rather than focusing on oh, I don't know if I should say this, I don't know if I should say that. And and that's where it goes back to that it's it's not a series of absolutes or always or never. It's making sure that you aren't using terms that are ableist or terms that promote a gender binary or terms that you know are are steeped in stereotypes and things like that and for the most part as humans we like to think that we don't do that but if you look back at the etymology of some of our phrases and and some of our terms and the the sh- verbal shortcuts that we take a lot of those really are exclusionary whether we intend them to be or not and so that's where I that's why I recommend they focus is be really precise on the words that you're using and if somebody counsels you that um a term is ableist or a term is something that um is misconstrued or is offensive um just being really open to that and focusing on what words can you use because the other side of that is showing up on the on, on the front page of the times because you are using an inclusive term in a way that nobody else expected and now it's an industry standard mm.
1: Any examples you could oh. share with that to help us? We're going to ask the same question. I
0: was going to I was going to jump in with the exact same one. Um, yeah, no, super curious because I, I think I think leaders could bring to mind a couple of examples. You know, saying "ladies and gentlemen," for instance, when addressing a, a, a room full of people, you, th- there are obviously folk who are non-binary and don't identify as a as a lady or a gentleman. Who 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 obviously that that excludes. But are there any yet yeah, uncommon um, examples that that people? You said you know obviously people people. Unintentionally, um, you know, use this language. So, yeah. Any any good examples,
2: ladies and gentlemen? Is my all time favorite. It is because it's it's ubiquitous, right? And we don't we don't even think about it anymore. And the pushback I get a lot with that is that it, it, to to some people it can feel like erasure. Like I can't say, ladies and gentlemen. It's not that there aren't ladies and gentlemen. It's not not that there aren't men and women. It's that there aren't only ladies and gentlemen, and men and women. And so that's kind of the focus that I put on there. Um, it, really quick, I have a story, this this has been one of the more effective examples I've had is um, the, the social constructs that are underneath ladies and gentlemen, right? It has a tone, it has an implication about behaviors and traits and agency and things like that. Um, and we can argue about that all day long, but I was talking to a colleague who disagreed with me on that, saying it's just two words. And I said, okay, but what if it wasn't ladies and gentlemen? What if it was ladies and dandies? And all of a sudden it was like, oh no, I'm not a dandy. I'm a I'm a gentleman. I'm a man. And it was like, okay, well, this that feels different, right? It's just the same word, but it feels different. Um, and I hope that wasn't too much of a tangent. But I do have a really this this literally just happened to me last week when I wasn't traveling on holiday. Um, my family and I were going to a show and we were approaching the box office and they 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 stamp for admission right and the 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 stamp wielder was very enthusiastically announcing uh risks hands or forehead and i just i couldn't help myself i was just like that is phenomenal because it's freezing cold i mean first of all not everybody has hands not everybody has wrists not everybody has skin that they really feel like they want to expose it's also 30 degrees outside. Maybe I don't want to take my gloves off. All these different things. And they didn't even address all the reasons why somebody wouldn't want to put their hand out. They just said, we need to make a mark on you somewhere that's visible to so- show this other person that you've paid your admission. And that focus, that precise focus on what the objective was
0: mm-hmm.
2: brings everybody in. They have options now. They don't feel singled out. And so it's small shifts like that 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 really can... Signal to people, I see you, I value you're human.
1: I love those examples, and we absolutely love stories on the podcast. So please don't feel bad about those and keep them coming. Tangent away. And I think, yeah, <laughs> always a tangent. We we are tangent experts.
0: Oh, I've got I just uh, just to kind of build on that, and and I think the analogy the analogy we used to sometimes use when talking about inclusive language, and and we hear the same pushback. Um, guys is a guys is a typical one, you know, using using guys to ag- address a, a you know a room full of people, and the, the kind of. The, the 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 counter example to that is is similar to the example you used around dandies you know how would you yeah. feel if 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 we were dressed in the room as, as gals you know um w- would that land differently and of course it would and funnily enough the, the the most vocal pushback we get against guys tends to be from women in the room who are like well i don't i don't mind that that's that's absolutely fine i don't i don't mind being i don't mind being lumped in and, and call guys but but pointing out that well there, there are people who who do mind. <laughs> in fact, and the, the 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 I guess the mental math we ask people to kind of engage with as a thought experiment is weighing the the potential harm against uh, people in the room who it does cause offense to versus how attached are you to actually saying the word you know you know how is it a, is it a hill you want to die on in, in terms of keeping that in your lexicon or is it a very easy fo- is it a very easy shift for you to to switch to hey all hey folk, uh, or, or whatever a uh, whatever you know a, a more inclusive alternative will be and and most people when they when they kind of wrestle with that idea a little bit tend to come out on the other side with, okay, well, you know, that, that, that seems, that seems actually pretty reasonable because, and, and, you know, not to their you know, no, no kind of criticism attached to this, just haven't really considered, haven't really considered the, um, uh, the, the potential impact before because it's not, it's not in there, you know, it's not in their lived experience. hey.
1: Although I will say it's not always, we say it's easy to change. It's often not no. because it's a habit. So one of the things we find people can get quite frustrated. So guys obviously is such a common one, but sometimes people can get really angry at themselves because they're trying so hard to change, guys, and then they slip up. And what we always say is it's a journey, it's fine to make mistakes. Actually, the most powerful thing you can do is accidentally say, guys and then apologize and call yourself out for it because that is showing not only that the word is wrong but the humility and the reason behind making change so i think yeah just to anyone listening taking the pressure off a bit about always having this perfect is is really important
2: yeah absolutely and that's the thing is we have such a phenomenal capacity for expression and 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 words and language and yet we tend to try to economize so we will use the same words over because our our goal is to get the the message out and the word's are just kind of like a, a delivery system for it. But if you take a step back, let's see, and even that, take a step back. Um, if you if you pull the lens back a little bit, it's the other side of showing up authentically is seeing people, viewing people, and experiencing people for who they are. And if we're leading with, "Hey guys, good morning guys," we're not seeing or engaging the people who are there. It's so it makes us think about who are we talking to Um, colleagues, folks, Peeps, Peeps is my favorite. Not super professional, but it is my favorite.
0: I'm a fan of Peeps. I might start. I might start. <laughs> <laughs> I might start folding that into my lexicon a bit more. I, I enjoy that a lot. And and I think one of the I think one of the things, uh, of course, the the focus here is on is on is on is on the folk and the peeps that that this potentially impacts and, and offends. But I think one of the one of the overlooked benefits for individuals stepping into embracing, say, and we're, we're just obviously talking about inclusive language here, is that. It's the flexing of of cognitive flexibility and and the the developing of that muscle. I catch myself all the time gendering animals and gendering um like things because uh, I've got a two and a half year old uh, two and a half year old um, little little fella at home, and I'm telling him stories and and we're pointing at things in the world and I'm like, you know, what's he doing when I'm pointing at the hippo or the or the tiger or, or whatnot? And I'm like, why did why did he pop into my head? Like, why did I, you know, why did I make that 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 gender connection between between that type of animal and and a and a particular gender? And and it's it's really interesting to see that, and and that's a that's a glimpse into my own unconscious bias that that's popping up, and and I think. And and to me, that's really interesting and exciting. And I I think I think kind of framing that as an opportunity for people to 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 gain a bit more, uh, a bit more, um, uh, I guess, awareness and flexibility um, is a is another another sort of mildly selfish fringe benefit of, of doing this work. I don't know how you think about that, Jen.
2: No, I love that because that is such a perfect example. And it is it it can it can also be overwhelming at times. I would imagine if you're going through there and you're like, oh, did I say this word? And then trying to put it all together but uh no it is such a tendency and it's ingrained from the time that we're we're little i mean it was not that long ago that the standard the more correct was to say he unless you absolutely had to use Mm. not he um and it just yeah it's really interesting all the places we put gender that it doesn't belong
0: even the, the the oh sorry the 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 one that the one that comes to mind is the kind of the most egregious and I still catch myself doing it is when we're crossing the road and and the uh you know the the the, the green man well calling it the green man is like so there's a man that's telling me to stop and go when I when I cross the road so it's it's a green man right and like I grew up at school because I think I grew up at school and it was it was always the it was always the green man when we crossed the road sort of reframing that to the green person it, it seems like a small thing but um it's, it we know it's not right
2: That's the thing is, and and in that case, it is a small thing. But once you flip the script on that, you start seeing the bigger things. You start seeing the more systemic, institutionalized, bigger problems. And that's, it's funny because I do have people, I'm like, why are you asking me to focus on this simple thing? It's like, because the simple things lead you to see, oh, it's everywhere. And you start to, you can't, you can't unsee it for lack of a better word.
0: Uh, And we, we ask people to, we use, sort of habit forming techniques quite a lot in the work we do and and kind of if you obviously i'm, I'm sure you're familiar to some extent jen with the work of you know bj fogg etc and, and the research that's been done on on habit formation and and so much of the success of that is focusing on the small um small changes that can be made over time and and if we ask people to to, to do the huge things right out the gate they're, they're probably they're probably going to fall down at that and become disheartened and disenfranchised and, and disengaged whereas just spotting you know green man and trying to reframe that just noticing you know the stories you tell to your kids about the animals in the picture book um is something that i think a lot of people can engage with and it it opens up the possibility for broader work as you say so um yeah i think that's really important i i I realize i've taken us down a tangent of (laughs) of inclusive language and, and children's picture books If you like what you've heard so far in the podcast and are looking for new ways to bring diversity, equity and inclusion to life in your organization, why not reach out for a chat? At Leaders for Good, we offer a range of solutions from diversity, equity, inclusion strategy sprints through to inclusive leadership workshops to DEI training for your whole organization. So if that sounds good, drop us an email at hello at leadersforgood.org. I'm curious what are the what are other some of the other big challenges that we see accidental the accidental dei experts kind of stepping into in organizations? what are some of the um you know if there are any any kind of broad categories or, or or really specific things that you see popping up time and time again that might be interesting for the listener?
2: Yeah, I think one of the biggest ones is balancing balancing change fatigue and and saturation and and really understanding as you are introducing New initiatives um, in your organization, even if it's something as small, uh, small does not mean not meaningful. But so even something as small as adding, you know, your pronouns, for example, to an auto signature, um, is making sure that it's rolled out in such a way that people are able to absorb that change and and integrate it and go through that that cycle, right? And and not introducing too much too fast. The other side of that is not going so slow that it it just becomes lip service, right? And so making sure that there is that that balance and that that constantly keeping plugged into the pulse of how people are reacting, what is actually happening, what's what's the feedback.
1: I think that's such an important point. And I think the layer on top of that is doing it within the organizational context. So quite often what we see when we have accidental DEI experts is they're often not necessarily familiar with everything else that's going on in the organization. And they're trying so hard to really fight for something and to make lots of change, but without considering that there might be 20 other initiatives from other angles that are all being pushed on people. So the change fatigue isn't just within the DEI space. It's actually across the whole organization. And we're seeing that with a lot of organizations at the moment. They're they're almost pushing messages onto people without taking the employee experience lens. What am I seeing as an employee? What are all of these different changes that you're asking me to take? So I think, for especially for accidental DEI experts, that's very hard to, to get a handle on unless you've got that really good exec sponsor or you are at a more senior level with more visibility.
2: Yeah. And that's such an excellent point because some initiatives I've seen roll out, um, they are so well thought out and well funded and well executed. And it's that last piece of who communicates it out to the employees and what does that message feel like? Because if you've got all of this, all of this good stuff coming, and then it comes out through a specific point person, that will not necessarily intentional, but will influence how that message is received. It, it really is. It, it's it's that end to end design thinking of understanding the lived experience, the problem being solved. Does the population we're supporting think that it's a problem? Are they involved in the solution? And and what is that? look like all the way through to that to that end recipient
1: we've actually seen that recently there's an organization that we've been helping with their they call them ergs employee resource groups and they'd found that their employee resource groups just weren't particularly effective and there's a whole load of reasons behind that but one of the things that we've been doing is helping those groups understand how to make effective change and how you go about about doing that and one of the things the employee resource group said back to us in the organization was Yes, we want to learn this, but also we want some credit. We want some recognition. Like we want this acknowledged that we are, that we're making this change and that we're going above and beyond our roles. And I'd love to hear more about that from you in a sec. But what was really interesting to me was the number one thing that made a difference was their chief people officer that they don't normally get exposure to, sending them an all an email saying, this is awesome. I'm so proud of you all. Thank you so much for giving the time to go through this program. So to your point around where the communications come from, something that was seemingly small and simple actually was so meaningful. Um, So that was a little story, but I'd love to dig into that a bit more. When When these accidental DEI experts are people that are going above and beyond their role, and and it's they're coming out of their own personal time in some instances. How should we be recognizing and rewarding them? What what should that look like? Because I know some companies actually pay. I hadn't realized that until relatively recently. Some of the big tech companies actually give additional funds to people, not not to spend internally, additional salary to individuals. What what other ways are should we be thinking about how we recognize and reward those individuals?
2: That's such a good point too, because there's a burnout factor as well, right? You can't just keep pushing, pushing, pushing. Stress should be cyclical. Um honestly, it it really it really depends on the individual and the team structure and and the company. Um, everybody responds a little bit differently. And what I've seen though, is really investing back into that person. Whether that sounds like it's additional PTO, whether that sounds like sending them to a conference, especially something related to DeI, something that really helps them align what they're doing to make the organization better and their professional development and their personal development goals. And really being plugged into what it is that that motivates them and where do they wanna go.
1: And I think that point there about goals is one of the things we've been trying with a few organizations is, if we really believe in the importance of this and we believe in the employee resource groups, for use of a better term, if we believe in their ability to make change and how important this is to our culture, then it should be part of their goals. And then that builds it into the existing reward and recognition system. So we've been, yeah, we've been having that conversation with quite a few organizations recently about how you how you make that happen.
2: Yeah. And one other thing I've seen, especially with employee resource groups, is sponsoring that more of a cross-pollination. So sponsor a leadership trip for them. Let Let them go out into some remote area and really get deep into the strategy of what do they want to do to affect change and and who they are as humans. and that that can just accelerate their progress exponentially. and especially if you can get, like I said, leaders from other groups and ERGs and and get an understanding of how can they work together and what are their shared problems? because we're not we treat we're not ever one thing.
1: And again, I love that one of the big things that came out of our ERG program with this organization I'm referring to that we just ran was all of them were looking at all the policies across the organization separately. And all of them were communicating to the organization about the need for new members separately. And actually, we got them together and they formed cross-functional working groups from each ERG on these problems beautiful, right? Suddenly completely change how they communicate with the organization and the and the experience that all of the other people in that organization would have of them and their effectiveness. So I loved that point. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And and the new perspectives that they bring. I mean that that is the beauty of having these diverse perspectives in the same room is is just the learning.
0: I have a I have a question, Jen, and I'm not sure if this is this is directly related to um, accidental DEI experts or just more you know certain certain um, kind of types of organization. But I'm wondering how you think about um, I'll call it I'll call it complacency. So so kind of organizational wide complacency around around DEI, and and we tend to see this in organizations that are um typically more more kind of purpose led in general and and we see in organisations that there's a lot of good heart and good intention there but but with it comes a i guess from from lack of knowledge lack of experience and lack of engagement with the topic uh, a a kind of well you know i'm i'm not racist or sexist or prejudiced that like I, I i don't need this um and and there's a there's a kind of lack of recognition that there's that there's work for us all to do and the the end result is obviously the the where where there's a uh, you know where there's a learning and development opportunity or a program the, the the optimal is that it's compelling not compulsory and and that people would volunteer to come along but in organisations where there is this systemic complacency um, kind of attendance at, at any at any intervention can be can be difficult difficult to achieve so I, I'm I'm wondering I'm wondering your experience your views on that I'd love to love to get a <laughs> love to get somebody else's uh, somebody else's perspective there.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I, I I do like to approach this as a as a combination of that that need for innovation within any organization and then also the aspect of organizational health. And so if we typically think of DEI as this silo that lives underneath human resources because that's where humans happen, it, it we really need to branch it out. And for companies that aren't investing in research and development if they aren't investing in innovation and, and what the industry the next disruption will be they're going to stagnate and it's the same with their humans so if you aren't if you aren't learning about how you can make it more inclusive representative belonging that organizational health will start to stagnate and for some inter- for some companies in the industry that's that's fine. They're okay with it. Uh, but they're not gonna be able to attract that amazing talent that is coming up in the world. And and it it will show. And I mean, the the more that you invest in inclusion and, and belonging and, and a culture of respect, uh it it's measurable on on every single metric. The the engagement, the productivity, the optimal solutions, it, it just elevates everything.
0: Just to sort of double click on that a a bit more, how does that translate down to say, you know, the individual, the individual kind of line manager at a, you know, a function in the business. And I might might kind of get that on a cognitive level and I might get that this is important for the business and this is important for the industry and, and, and even agree that, that a focus on DEI is a good thing, but I I just don't need this. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm open and I treat everyone the same, you know, which is always a, a a kind of a a bit of a, a bit of a misnomer that we can, we can, we can expand on if needs be, but I'm I'm just wondering if there's a way of thinking about engaging with that person. Is is it that if if this is an organisation wide issue that the that you would you would recommend that some kind of intervention is is more compulsory, or or do you think that the downsides of that are, are, are outweigh the outweigh the positive benefits? And and again, there's no there's no easy or clean answer to this. I get I just just you know after your after your view.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's those are the, the individuals who think that this isn't for them. Those are the ones I want at the table. Those are absolutely and honestly, it's mm-hmm. because oftentimes they think that, well, no one wants to sit in a, in a conference room for an hour and be told everything that they've done is wrong. Mm-hmm. And all their world beliefs are wrong and all the, the ways they interact are wrong. And I mean, I'm not here to change anybody's belief system. This is just about how do we interact with each other as humans effectively and and safely Right, And so that typically is how I position it. It's like, if you don't feel like you need to be here, I would would invite you to come for 15 minutes and see if you still feel the same way. Because it's not, and also a tangent. Also, I think that has a lot to do with the type of content and the way that they approach and the way they talk about inclusion in the workplace. Because if it sounds like it's going to be an anti-harassment off the shelf video from 1982, that's one thing, right? If it's something that is dynamic and engaging, And really focuses on, we need these different perspectives, including people who don't agree with me. Like, I want people who don't agree with me, because that's where we get this really nice, healthy tension and conflict and discussion. And that's what drives the optimal, you know, the optimal results, as long as it's safe, psychologically safe. And there's, you know, an understanding.
1: Sweet! touch on psychological safety and safe spaces phil it's an interesting topic that we've been discussing quite a lot since a podcast one of brene brown's recent podcasts about brave spaces and i know it's something you're very passionate about so i thought i might pass to you phil to start a conversation and get jen's thoughts on that one
0: mm. uh, and and i i tend to i tend to agree with with Brene Brown's thinking on this, that you can't guarantee safety in a, in a, in a space, you know, you've got a, you've got a bunch of humans in a space that are going to do what they're going to do. They're going to think of you, what they're going to think. And they're going to, they're going to act as they're going to act outside of the, outside of the space and, and dealing with sometimes subject matter that is, um, by its nature is is emotive and, and can be challenging for people and, and can be, can, can, can rouse emotions in, you know, in the, in, in the, in the person sharing and, and also the per- people listening. And so, so talking about safe spaces can, I think, create a, a, a kind of false dichotomy. And it's also, it's also a, a I, th- I think a mechanism to to, 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 to potentially break trust and, and kind of break, um, uh, faith early on, because because I think if anybody really feels into it, there's an experience of of of, of not safety. I think I think with with speaking up. So the fact that, that this has been framed as a safe space, and then all of a sudden people do not feel that. I, I think I think is something that could lead to uh, to to a greater degree of shutting down and, and lack of contribution than than actually opening up. What I and 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 another just just to add another uh, another kind of like controversial frame on there, uh, you know, I I don't like the framing of this is a judgment free environment either because judgment is a is a natural mechanism of of how humans make sense of the world. We're all judging all of the time. We can we can we can flip that framing to we would like an environment free of criticism, free of blaming, free of shaming, and, and and free of certain behaviors. But but to say that we can't judge is well a it's judging the judges so 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 saying we want a judgment-free environment is a judgment in and of itself which i think some people miss but but yeah this this sort of saying we want judgment-free this is a safe space the bernie brown's kind of posit there is that we want brave spaces we want to create a, a a space where there's um kind of a celebration and an expectation of 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 people speaking up in in the face of 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 potential um uh discomfort so that that was a <laughs> little all over the map but i love to love to hear what you make of that
2: no i love that because it is it, it safe spaces does have that sense of you know it, it's i don't want to say that it's a you know it's a softly lit room that's lemon scented where we sit around and talk about our feelings that is fantastic and we need that but what i'm talking about here and what i think you're also alluding to phil is that we need to have a space that is trusted so i can show up as my authentic self i can vehemently disagree with your position or we can start to you know pick apart each other's arguments but there's a ground rule and there's an understanding of what the expected behavior is and it's going to be respectful and it's going to make sure that everybody who's in that conversation in that team is going to leave intact that to me is is the difference it's it's the behaviors that i would uh, describe rather than like we can all talk about what psychological safety means and, and that is very important, but I think it's it lands better when it's describing the behaviors and modeling those behaviors. So if you're challenging me and I'm listening rather than digging my heels and defending why I said that,
0: I couldn't agree more. I think we're on the same page because because it feels like it feels like a <laughs> safe space and judgment free feels like an incantation that somebody's saying at the start of a, a workshop, like it's a spell they just cast to make it true. Um, and 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 assuming everybody knows what we mean by that, again, and without without pointing to without pointing to very specific behaviours and, and and expectations, I, I I don't think we can. I, I, yeah, again, I I don't think we're going to get there. So yeah, love it.
1: Yeah, I just I think I love brave because it's giving someone something empowering. It's something actionable. It's something you can do. It's the expectation on you is to go in there and, and to be to be brave and challenge yourself. I don't personally think though that safe spaces are wrong. I think that is still what we're ultimately aiming for. We ideally want to be in a situation where people are are feeling safe enough to have their voices heard and all of those things. But I think naming it a safe space isn't necessarily helpful, and I completely agree that we, of course, can't can't guarantee it.
2: Yeah, I mean, the other thing, safe spaces actually has has a has a meaning, right? I mean, I, when I was doing a, a lot of work with educators, safe spaces in schools and safe spaces in, you know, in in healthcare facilities things like that were a place that marginalized typically lgbtq plus individuals could go and and be safe and not persecuted and not bullied and, and it was a place for them to go and so that absolutely has a very specific meaning um, but yes no i think in in terms of working together in organizations it's a place where yes you can be brave and you can name what's going on and i think there's also a component now that we've seen in the last couple of years where it's safe to not be okay Mm. It's safe to show up and say, I am barely holding it together because I've got something going on that is bigger than I want to talk about right now. And just so please, a little grace, text me if you need my immediate attention, but just know that I am working through some things.
1: I guess what I keep being drawn to is the power of our accidental DEI experts. So time and time again in organizations, people that haven't got huge levels of experience, aren't trained, don't always have the power and resources. that determination and passion and then the ability for them to make change is so strong. So I think if you are in that role um, amazing, well done and and yeah keep keep going with it. Hopefully there's some things that we've shared today that can help you on that journey.
0: I, I think for me one one thing that just sparked. From the conversation around reward and remuneration and and recognition for for accidental dei experts is where it's not where there's not kind of financial remuneration for for the additional time they're spending, how do we how do we add a degree of process and system around ensuring that the there's there is a continuing recognition and a continu- continuing continuing acknowledgement over time because if not, I think it it relies on it relies on on the sort of the remembrance and the serendipity and the and the prompting of, of certain people in the organisation and and it can feel uh, the experience of it could feel very sporadic and and there could be long long you know long intervals between drinks, um, for uh, for folks. So I think I think. For organisations where yeah where there isn't where there isn't a financial remuneration, how could they introduce a process to make sure that these folk are, are given their given their dues and, and given their, their acknowledgement on a regular basis? That's that's something that I'm gonna I'm gonna think about for our yeah for the organisations we work with.
2: Jen, last but not least? Oh, uh, no. So I was actually just thinking about the... because We've been talking about the power of expression in words. And just the, mm-hmm. even the last conversation where we were talking about the difference between a safe space, psychologically safe space, and a brave space. And just that yes and, just that shift of safe to brave, <clears throat> excuse me, it really feels different. And it's... You know what I mean? So th- I think that is a lot of the power uh, that we have uh, to with language to express but one of the things that i'm really taking away from this is the individual should never underestimate their ability to influence change Mm. if it's a word if it's something in a grocery store if it's in community or with your kids or someone else's kids that ability to just kind of splash and ripple a spark of a conversation love it Kerry, anything else? So
1: any final thoughts for the audience? Anything you want them to take away beyond what we've discussed?
2: Be be brave. Be precise with your words, and be brave, and 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 mindful of all the different ways of being.
1: I love it. Thank you so much for joining us. That was a wonderful conversation. I think we've all got lots to to think about as a result.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Jen.
0: If you found this episode useful, the best way to support us and spread the message is by telling a friend or a colleague. You can also give us a rating or a comment on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to learn more about Leaders for Good and how you can start making positive change, head on over to leadersforgood.org and join our free community.